0: come alive with pastor mark martinez we try
1: and we fail and we're told to destroy it because the reason we can't and we don't succeed a lot of times is because we've just put it in a cage and we've let it hang out and we're able to go back and hey little pet sin I'm gonna throw some food and water to you because I feel bad for you. I know you're thirsty in there. I'll let you out one day when nobody's around. Just me and you, I'll hang out. Me and you, it'll be fun. Just hold hands and we'll skip through the grass. It'll be a happy day. See, if you don't def- destroy the flesh, the de- the flesh will destroy you.
0: cling to our sins, we are playing a dangerous game. We may keep it hidden away from our friends and family, but just like a slow-moving cancer, it will eat away at the cage we've put it in and work its way into the rest of our lives. Even if we succeed in keeping it a secret, it will have a negative effect on everything it touches. Pastor Mark challenges us in today's message. We need to put that sin to death and burn the remains. We can only do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. When we bring that dark cancer before the Lord, he will help us completely eradicate it from our lives. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of First Samuel chapter 15 with today's edition of Come Alive.
1: God says, I'm sending you, or Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. There's an intent, we, we, but we're not intentional when we live our lives. Saul wasn't intentional when he went and did battle. He, he didn't heed God's word and do what God told him to do. He went ahead and said, well, you know, that, that's cool. I know what God said, but man... That, oh, that sheep, that fowling, that is awesome. I want it. And the king, he's a good looking dude because Agag, they say, was really good looking, tall. Like Saul, he probably looked at him and said, Hey, hey, good looking, what's up? Look, me too. Here's Saul's plan I got Agag. If I keep him, it was a political move. If I keep this guy alive and, and something happens and we release him and next time he comes after us, we can work a deal. That's what happened. That's what's taking place here. God didn't change his mind. Saul chose. God changes characters. He switches. He switches methods. And this is what I want us to see because God declares how sad he is and how he is so sorrowful that Saul has done this thing. And so now in his mind, there's this little kid watching some sheep somewhere, and that's the guy I'm choosing. But in this next verse, we seem to see a contrast. Look at verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Seems to be a little bit of a contrast here. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. But Samuel said, What what then is this? Bleeding of sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, Oh, they have brought them. Who? They. It's not my fault. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the, be- the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. Basically, dude, shut up. Shut your face, liar! Liar! Pants on fire! I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last. Time. Dude, this is so man to just stand there and watch this. I'll tell you what this guy, and this is this is even better. It gets even better. You guys don't read too fast. Don't don't get ahead of me. And he said to him, "Speak on." So Saul says, "Go ahead, tell me tell me what you know." So Samuel said, "When you were little, in your own eyes." Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, look at the word mission. Not a mission trip, on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took off, the, took off their plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. So here, here's this. It's amazing when you hear someone's response and reaction, their defense. Highlight the word for perform in verse 13. It, And then right out next to it, it means to accomplish and succeed for show. In the Hebrew, that's what that word means. I like that word, reaction. And it means, or the word perform, I'm sorry, the word perform in verse 13 means to accomplish and succeed for show. See, many Christians go wrong here because they're trying to say something about us rather than declare something about God. A lot of times I hear people, when they go out and witness, they talk about us as Christians. Well, you know, we really have this love for community, and we just want to love like Jesus loves. And if Jesus is God, then what's about to take place here? A wipeout? If you really love like Jesus loves, then you're going to tell them, hey, you know, there's going to be a day that you pay for your sins. It's not a great message, not a feel-good message, but it's the truth. And if we tell the truth, we're better for it because they need to know So Samuel says, please stop in verse 16. He's like, just shut up. The phrase be quiet means I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to continue to talking. It's kind of like you're doing this, you need to do this while I do this type of a situation that's going on here. He says, when you were small, when you were ignorant, when you trusted God, now you're too big for your own britches, bro. You've gotten too big. You've let all this stuff with all this king stuff get into your head and all these people feed all these lies to you. In verse 20, Saul says he obeyed. and In verse 21, it's the people's fault. Hey, Saul, unless you do what you have been asked to do, you, you've not done it. Do we know that? If you don't do what you've been asked to do, then you didn't do it. That's a lesson I try to teach my son. Pick up your shoes. He'll pick up one shoe. Comes back, and he's wondering why he doesn't get the treat that he thought he was going to get. Well, you didn't do it. Yes, I did. I picked up one shoe. He said, how many feet do you have? Looks down. Ponders a little while. Two. How many shoes do you have? Two. Where Where are they supposed to go? To my room? Are they all there? No. He needs help. He needs help, serious help. Pray for my son. But isn't that the way we are? Pray for us. Because all he is is a smaller version of me. (laughs) I take off my shoes and my wife just gave up asking me to put them up. I wait till somebody kicks them around a couple of times and be like, man, they said, pick up my shoes for me. Dad, whose shoes are those? Oh, dear. Here we go. See, the selective obedience well, we are all like that, but that doesn't mean it's right. So you have done what you decided to do is what Samuel tells him. You've decided to do what you wanted to do. You've done it yourself. You've done what you decided to do. And this selective obedience happens in all of our hearts. We have these little pet sins, the little favorites, right? The one you keep around just to kind of, its oh, that's my favorite one. Right I just It's a rough day. <laughs> I need to break that one out, take it out. No one's around. Let's go. The other day, I was at a friend's house. Opened his refrigerator, and he's sitting there, and he goes, hey, man, we're going to have Mexican food. You want a Corona? And I looked, and I said, man, I'll, and I was just joking. I go, I'll have the whole six-pack. And him and his wife just looked at me, and they're like, dude, for as long as we've known you, and he's, he was one of the guys that are responsible for me of becoming the, uh, or getting to know the Lord, He goes, for as long as we've known you, you've always said no. Why all of a sudden the change? I was like, I was just joking. He goes, we wouldn't have let you drink six anyway. And I go, would you have let me drink three? He was like, no. I go, how about two? He's like, no. I go, what about one? He goes, no. I go, why'd you offer? He goes, we just like to see what you're going to say. And he goes, we know you're not serious. But I started thinking, who would know? I'm with my two buddies. Nobody would know, just me and them. They don't know you. And they wouldn't have ratted me out. Nobody would have known. But I didn't. I didn't want one. I looked at it and I was like, I remember how those used to feel on my tongue. But I didn't want one. Because I remember what it did. Just one. Make you feel a little cool. Hey, what's up? People checking me out. I'm looking kind of cool. I'm feeling kind of cool and going to do something kind of (laughs) dumb. It happens. See, that selective obedience, God's saving grace, the thing that you and I, you know, need to take care. We need to take care of that saving grace. And so, you know, when, when God, you do the saving grace thing, and I'll take care of the whatever thing. It's whatever. Those favorite sins. We, we tend to like, go ahead, take care of the saving grace. I'll take care of this other thing. God says, no, no, no. I'm going to take care of that thing. I'm going to take care of all these things. Not just some of them, but all of them. Lord, I want you to save me, but don't even think about telling me about finances. This thing, I'm going to give you 5% of what's left over unless I need it. Don't tell me how to live. I just want to get to heaven. Just want to get to heaven, but don't tell me how to live. If you're taking heart to this message and you hold it up against your life in the Bible here, this one, At some point, you're going to go, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of selective obedience. Could you ever take a command of God and do them, or are they filtered by feelings? Are they filtered by the moods? Are they filtered by convenience, whether or not you're going to get gain from it? Well, I mean, when God tells you to do something, what do you filter those commands through? Think about it. And, that, and that's how I'll decide. That's what we do. We're like, whatever we filter that thing through, my convenience, my mood, my finances, my problem, my situation, that's how we will obey. That's how we will decide. I say if you do this, you're wrong. Look at verse 22 through 23. Or verse 23. It says, for rebellion is, is as the sin of witchcraft. Uh-oh. Anybody rebel lately? You're a bunch of witchcrafters. Wiccas. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Speaking to Saul. Poor Saul. Do you really think the Lord delights in sacrifice? Well, when your heart's not in it, sacrifice is supposed to capture both your attitude and your actions. Your attitude and your actions. That's what a sacrifice is. If it costs you nothing, then it costs you nothing. It's not a sacrifice. What happens when we go to church but sleep through the service? Does that count? I've seen people do that. I'm looking right here. I see your faces. You see mine. It'd be like if I fell asleep and tried to hide it from you. You'd know. You'd know the minute my eyes close. And I've seen people sit in the back row and just drop. And I'm just like, really? You're asleep? Oh, well, that doesn't count. Doesn't count. You went to church but you fell asleep. That doesn't count. Turn to Luke 18 real quick. 18 verse 10 says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. A sinner. See, there are those who are religiously right and relationally wrong. They're right religiously. They show up to church. They they serve maybe one or two times or four times a month. They have their quiet times. They raise their children. And, well, you know, with a Bible, we do all the right things. We say all the nice things. We don't let anyone say anything mean in our household. We got little Bible verses in the bathroom, so when company comes, they know we're Christians. But we do all these things religiously, but yet we still tend to do some of these things relationally wrong because yet we disobey the Lord on certain things. It's all about attitude. Saul sets up a monument, he blames the people, he thinks, well, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. He's a forgiving God. He is. Look at verse 24, and then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And so even in his confession, Saul made excuses. This dude's classic. I'm still going to make some excuses in my confession. He should have just said, man, I blew it. I sinned. Instead, he added because, the word because. I justify why I have a sinful tendency That's what he's doing. And when I justify, when I have a sinful tendency, I'm in trouble. I need to simply say I've sinned. Look at verse 25. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to you, a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. And then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Typically, if you were a king that went to battle with another kingdom, you normally would save that king and parade him around when you returned home so the people could see how great you were, to see that you were the winner. And this would speak to your power. It would speak to your strength. And Saul is saying, come on, I'm planning on a big parade, Samuel, and I need you to be there. I want you to be part of it. And Samuel says, no way. The minute I stand alongside you, the people will think I endorse you. Who are you standing alongside? What do you stand alongside? And, and notice Saul refers to God as your God. Your God. Look at verse 32. And then Samuel said, bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. would you like to have that dude as your pastor? Bring your friend up here. You've been hanging out with the wrong dude. (laughs) I know. I told you to quit hanging out with him. Bring him up here. We're going to take care of business right now. Speaking Samuel, he's old and pulls out like ninja moves. He's even wearing a dress. I mean, like, how manly do you feel getting hacked up by a dude wearing a skirt? Sounds heavy. Well, in Scripture, Agag and the Amalekites are a type of the flesh. Write that down. Amalekites and Agag are a type of the flesh. So in the same way the Philistines are a type of the enemy, Pharaoh was a type of Satan, certain types played out in the word that illuminate in our own heart how we're supposed to do battle. So we're supposed to hack up the flesh, put it to death, so to speak. And Samuel does that. When the enemy attacks, we're supposed to trust in the Lord like Jonathan and David and go attack. When the flesh is trying to tear us down and weigh us down, what are we supposed to do? Well, the Bible teaches we're supposed to destroy the flesh. And yet we don't. We let the flesh tell us, oh, just as, you know, again, I'm going back to John twenty twenty one. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Oh, we do such a poor job in being sent out that we actually don't go. We just kind of kick it and hang out with our friends. We got other plans. Not today, Mark. Not today. Oh, you're not telling me not today. It's the Bible. It was written by God. You're just telling God just as you're telling Jesus that. Oh, he's my Lord and Savior, but not today. I'm not going to do what you ask. The Bible teaches we're supposed to destroy the flesh. We're supposed to reckon that old man dead. We try to cage, contra- cage or control the flesh, but we can't. And when we try and we fail and we're told to destroy it because the reason we can't and we don't succeed a lot of times is because we've just put it in a cage and we've let it hang out and we're able to go back and, hey, little pet sin, I'm going to throw some food and water to you because I feel bad for you. I know you're thirsty in there. I'll let you out one day when nobody's around. Just me and you hang out. Me and you. It'll be fun. Just hold hands and we'll skip through the grass. It'll be a happy day. See, if you don't def- destroy the flesh, the, de- f- the flesh will destroy you. And we see this in Saul's life. Turn to 1 Samuel 31, the very, very end. I want to show you something amazing. I'm going to show you something else amazing. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Look at verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword Thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and he fell on it. Some scholars suggest that Saul at this point did not die. He, he, see, he tries to take his own life and he still has no faith in God. He still has no faith in God that God can get him out of this. So he falls on his own spear. And if you turn to the second book of Samuel, and here we have a report of David. And, and David asks, how did the battle go? And how do you know both Saul and Jonathan are dead? In verses 6 and 10. It says, then the young man who told him said, as it, as it has happened by chance, and this is chapter 1 of Second Samuel, verse 6, And says, If it happened by chance to be on Mount Geboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for an anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. Verse 10, so I stood over him, and I killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen, and I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Now, this is one of these captive Amalekites fighting for the Israelites, and guess who took Saul's life? An Amalekite. He didn't destroy him. The very guy he was supposed to kill, but he spared, took his life. And here's how this happens. Josephus, the historian, suggests that Agag was tall and good-looking, and so Saul spared him in case there came a day when he would need Agag to spare himself. And Saul saw a tall, good-looking guy, kept him in his court, and obviously it says that in in Josephus' account that Agag had had children, and this could have been one of these children, and so that this son is the Amalekite who killed Saul. Now, it's just suggested is what Josephus says. It could be true. I don't know. I don't know what sin you're keeping back and trying to cage, but let me say this. Kill it. Kill it today. Today is the day you need to do some killing. Kill it before it wipes you and your friends and your family out or it causes them grief. Turn with me 500 years later to the book of Esther. The book of Esther. And you're going to see something even amazing here. Chapter 3, verse 1. Esther, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, After these things, King sure it's promised Haman, the son of Hamadeath, an Agite. Who's that? See that word? 500 years later, these guys are still around. A great-grandson of Agag is trying to wipe out the entire Jewish race in the book of Esther. See, so you need to destroy that which you dis- you struggle with. Whatever that thing is, anger, pride, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, you need to destroy it because... Chances are it's going to find its way into your life years later and try to destroy one of your great-grandkids or one of your children. It's going to find its way back if you don't kill it. It will find its way back. I've seen this happen over and over again. Selective obedience is dangerous. Be obedient. May you never, ever disobey God because it will lead to a path of destruction. Maybe you've been like Saul and you need to get your walk right with God. Today's a good day to do it. If you need somebody to pray with you to hack up that flesh, well, I'll be glad to help you do it. Well, we'll be glad to stand with you side by side. The sword that's going to hack it up is this one. It's going to put that flesh to death. Are you disobedient? Are you being disobedient, selective obedience? Well, I'm not that bad. That little sin, it ain't that bad. It ain't going to get away. That little kid got away. 500 years later, there it is again. Big problem.
0: The people we meet in the book of 1 Samuel are quite the characters. We meet a woman who gave her only child to God and a boy who heard and answered the call of the Lord. We also find a frightened king and a brave shepherd boy, both of whom would lead the people of Israel. Through each of these people and circumstances, we discover God's hand at work in powerful ways. We are so glad you tuned in today to Come Alive. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play or iTunes to keep up to date with the latest from Come Alive and the church behind it. Calvary Chapel Katy is led by Pastor Mark Martinez and a staff of Jesus-loving, friendly people who do all we can to spread the good news of the gospel to all who walk through our doors. If you're in the Katy area, Tracy has an invitation for you.
1: We'd absolutely love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel Katy for our Sunday morning service. We're now meeting at Wood Creek Elementary School, located at 1155 Wood Creek Bend Lane. It's exciting to be in a new space, and we hope you're able to come worship the Savior and study the Bible with us, filling our new home with praise and prayer. Give us a call for more information and directions, and we look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Our phone number is 281-391-5503. That's 281-391-5503. Thanks for listening today to Come Alive.